You're listening to Garibaldi Red, a Nottingham Forest podcast brought to you by Nottinghamshire Live. Hello, welcome to Garibaldi Red for a second episode of this week as we're joined by a special guest ahead of the West Ham game in the shape of Forest first team coach Jamie Robinson, one of the new people who've joined the club over the summer. Jamie, great to have you with us. How are you? Very well, thank you. Thanks, Matt. Nice to see you. Yes, you too, you too. Uh, how are you settling in at Forest? Has it been a bit of a whirlwind or are you feeling like you're, you're all part of the furniture now? A uh, bit of both, really. Uh, I mean, I certainly don't feel like the new boy because I spent a bit of time over here last season. Obviously, known Steve Cooper for many, many years. Um, so that doesn't feel new. Certainly the surroundings. You know, I've, we were talking before we started this about Nick Marshall and the academy days. You know, my, my dealing sort of in a previous role for the FA or, or as a PFA regional coach used to come over here quite regular. So it's it feels pretty familiar surroundings. Obviously, the people are different from uh, in this in this era than what's been in previous eras. So, you know, it's been, uh, it's been really good and really exciting, really good people. Um, just an exciting time. Uh, before we go into your playing career and your road here, I mean, what is your role at Forest? I know Steve has this very loose hierarchy where there's no assistant manager. It's all very collaborative. Are you on the grass training players day in, day out? Or are you doing something slightly different? No, no, I'm on the I'm on the grass every day. So I'm one of, I suppose, with myself, Alan Tate, um, Andy Reid, Danny Alcock, Dave Tivy, fitness coach, and Steve and myself, you know, the coaching team. You know, I think in the modern era, I think you need lots of pairs of hands around the players. You know, I think what's required from working with individual units of the team is is a uh, it's a big job these days. And uh, and I think Stephen, there are no illusions of the sort of kind of modern look that that team needs to shape needs to how it needs to look and what how that needs to take shape. Obviously, then you need cohesion and people need to be different and offer different things to different players uh, and and different units in the different team. And I, and I think we're trying to piece that together to have a you know cohesive forward thinking progressive sort of coaching team that's 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 the setup and then we play to our strengths so i'll obviously work with the coaches a bit more on maybe the design of their practices and what we're trying to piece together you know and steve's obviously a fantastic man manager katie's a brilliant sort of defensive coach with a defensive mind and and as you know from reedy's playing career fantastic creative player who you know is who's someone that we want to keep have his eye on our sort of attacking play and, and some of the individuals try and unlock their creativity. My favourite ever Forest player that I've seen in person, Reed is. Loved him. Absolute <laughs> magician. Um, tell us a bit about yourself then in terms of your playing career and your road in, into coaching before we talk specifically about the FA and what you did to get to Forest. What's your kind of career progression to this point? Yeah, yeah. I was born in the early 70s in, in Liverpool, um, which is obviously a mad like Nottingham, a mad football town. I was fortunate to play for kind of district schoolboys, Merseyside schoolboys, and ended up at Liverpool as an apprentice, schoolboy and then an apprentice, and then signed two years as a pro around 1990. Uh, Thoroughly enjoyed my time there. Left two years later and went on a free to Barnsley. Uh, Enjoyed about 18 months there, which is quite an interesting time. Uh, Different, totally different part of the world, just at the end of the minor strike. It was a cultural experience for me as a young scouser, really. And wow, this place, not very miles away from my house, is very different from where, where I've grown up. And then ended up some time, I had three or four years at Carlisle, which was good. And then was at Torquay for a couple and then finished at Exeter and Chester. Got injured about 30 and finished, finished then. And as my career was sliding down into journeyman, lower division this. But I enjoyed every minute of my playing career. 
But I did think from early on I would be better as a coach. I don't know why. I thought that I offered things, empathy and understanding from a player's perspective about what sometimes coaching didn't offer us in that era. So that's when I got into, uh, did a sports science degree in 97, the first distance learning sports science degree that the PFA put on for their memberships. Did that over five years with Paul Simpson and Mark Jules and Brian McGorry, a couple of guys who have gone on had successful careers in, in either management or outside football. Um, and then I got into coaching, really, not by chance, but I was thinking about what I'd do with my sports science. I thought I really enjoyed the kind of reversing back the playing experiences and thinking about what the theory was behind that. I thought that was fascinating. Um, and then I thought I'd become a PE teacher or something. And I was working in a gym in Shrewsbury just between finishing playing and thinking about what to do next. I started chatting to one of the directors in the in the gym and he said, come down and do some work with the under-15s. And I was like, nah, I'm not for that. No thanks. I've had enough of year-to-year contracts. I'll I'll uh, I'll crack on and try and maybe become a teacher or do something in academia, um, which I thought might have suited me more. Um, I'd enjoyed my career. I always felt I was the I was the player in the dressing room who who read books and listened to Radio Four, and you know was a bit different, you know. And it, I suppose it was more not more difficult, but you know. In any culture, you've got to fit into that to a certain degree. And I wanted to be my, my true self. And I felt coaching and thinking about some coaching principles and some ideas was, was good for me and stimulated me at that point. And getting into coaching then, firstly, a year part-time and then full-time at Shrewsbury Town was, uh, was a brilliant experience and I absolutely loved it. And I've been doing that for the last 21 years, coaching and then coach developing and sort of linking together like what players do with what coaching coach what's required from coaching and what the environment looks like to try and help players i suppose a enjoy what they do i think that's key and be motivated by how they operate and then secondly try and think how we can get them better from a from a playing point of view and developing their skill and then seeing what the coaches do to help support that practice design and the way they interact way they interact with the players and uh, end up here you mentioned a few things there. I mean, were, were you a centre half? Is that right? Yeah, yeah. A rugged centre half. I don't know. I mean, non league. I was lower league football. Sounds pretty. Um, a bit like the Wild West. You mentioned Torquay. I read a book. Is it Gary Nelson's book about playing at Torquay? Yeah. You might even have been there at the time. Yeah, I had a, but, yeah, a little, had little few lines in that book. Not a claim to play him. I get it. A different world, though, is it? Lower league football to what you grew up at Anfield. Um, yeah, Liverpool was very much pass and move. I felt privileged to spend um, you know, six years there, four years full-time, two years as a schoolboy, but like it was just so simple about pass and move principles. You know, the boot room is still on operation. Ronnie Moran and Roy Evans had talked loudly in the book in the boot room and coached you about what was going on the previous night when the first team were playing about how are we in rush press from the front. The, pre- the training was all about with the ball. So it's similar to the work that we do here. You know, we're not running for running's sake. We're running with the ball. The game's hard. You have to run in connection with, with being good on the football and running off the ball. So some of the bits at Liverpool were absolutely fundamental to me becoming the person I was or, or the person I've become and who I was back then. And also then the football, how it's built my football philosophy. But then also seeing other, like you said about lower division, lower division football, how you can win the games in other ways. You've got to soak up pressure. You know, there's been games that, that Forrest have had over the last, last season where 
that soak up some pressure. You have to suffer at the right times. You have to be organised to, to deal with that defensively. Um, so I think the combination of the sort of cultures I've been exposed to over the years and obviously working at the FA and, and ultimately on running the pro licence and dealing with coaches who worked at you know clubs in Champions League football and working with some of the national teams. I've got a, I just feel privileged to have I've had such a set of experiences with different people from different backgrounds. Um, yeah, the combination of all that stuff, it's not, you know, it, it, none of the, the League 2 stuff doesn't operate in isolation. It, it, it's, uh, it's very similar and different to the sort of work we're doing now. And it's just having a focus and a real thought about how you want to do your work. You mentioned the work at the FA there, and it sounds like you had a great gig. Was there a part of you when Steve approached you to come join him that you thought, well, club football, you know, it's not exactly the best for job security sometimes, even as well as things are going at Forest. Was it the challenge that enticed you or was there any reticence to come? Yeah, I think the, the, the greatest compliment I can pay the football club is that when I was here last year, I used to leave my car thinking, I'd like to go back tomorrow. I'd like to go back and see what we're going to do there. You know, because the discussion we'd have about what we're doing with the players, what the coaching sessions look like, you know, feedback and some of the little challenges that we had, you know, were, 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 were fascinating to me. You know, and I was thinking, oh, what, that, what could that look like, you know, day in, day out as you get to know people better? My coaching philosophy is built on relationships and that, that's, that could only be, but you can only really maximise them if you really get to know people and understand what makes them tick. So the opportunity to come here and to try and build on those relationships was one that I just, I just couldn't, I just couldn't turn down. And yeah, reticent maybe, but also I think I'm proud of the work that I've done at the FA for the last, the last eleven years. You know, I think we've done some really good stuff. I've been involved with the E and and the, the kind of establishment of St George's Park as our, as our home of, you know, coach development and the home of our national teams, and, and felt it seemed to be the right time to move on. And you know, you. you can't work out a calculation for that. You just it just felt right. What's Steve like to work with day to day, if you don't mind me asking? Fan, fans hear so much about his brilliant man management and Gary Burtles, who we mentioned before we started recording. He's watched training sessions and was you know massively impressed with with how good they are. What's Steve like as a person to work with, or so so regularly now? Yeah, Steve's a Steve's a very good person. Um, I think his work is built on sound. Uh, coaching principles, which is getting to know the individuals really well and trying to build trust with them. And uh, that trust is part of the elite environment that we're trying to create. Um, I think what stands out to me and always has done is, is, is outstanding coaching skills. You know, we actually first got to know each other about 22 years ago when he, I was a Shrewsbury Towns under 16 coach and he took Rexham's under 16 and he was absolutely passionate back then and still is now about developing players and about coaching and about, you know, whatever the other afternoon we're there till five o'clock talking about sessions, about what we're going to do the next day, you know, about the work we're going to do with the players. You know, he's absolutely 100% enthused by the work as a coach and the work to develop the players and to develop the team. And they're the things that, that come through day in, day out. Um, and yeah, I, I, like the potential he's still got as a coach, you know, and I think for lots of coaches I've worked with over the years, you're just thinking, well, you know, there's still things that he, he can still work on and he wants to work on. And that's why I think, again, coming to the club has been a been a great opportunity. And, you know, no one, none of the coaching staff are thinking that the finished article, we're all, we're all trying to develop and get better day and out. Steve's the epitome of that. So if you go back, 20, I think you said 22 years ago, to, to Wrexham v Shrewsbury, 
would you have seen yourself going this far in the game? And would you? And when you met Steve, did you think this guy's going to go far as well? Um, I think I think my my Liverpool background would would say you just got to do your best every day, you know, and see where that's going to take you. It sounds like a cliche, but you can only live one day at a time. You can only do your best. I just wanted to try and be the best coach I could be. Then after being, I suppose, the best footballer that I thought could be, you know, given the hand I was dealt physical, psychological, you know, social attributes that, that I had. And then I thought, I thought in coaching, well, who knows where I might end up. I thoroughly enjoyed my early days at Shrewsbury Town. And I suppose back then, and I know Nick Marshall's been on this and he was academy manager at at, uh, at Forest after the sort of Paul Hart era. You know, you do everything, you drive the minibus, you, you take the kit to the laundry, you take all the, all, the, all the groups, you know, the coaches really well, you know, it's a, it was a brilliant grounding and Coops exactly, exactly the same at, at Wrexham. Obviously, it's a different era now with the with the Triple P and the way the funding's increased quite rightly for youth development to be able to make sure we get a better set of resources and staffing for our young players. But back then, we were able to throw ourselves into put lots of hats on. I think that really helped me back then. Mm-hmm. And did you think Steve had something about him as as you got to know him? Then did that, did it stand out? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think when I saw him at Liverpool and thought I thought he had a real presence when he became a kind of manager at Liverpool. I thought then when he went on to take the 17s at England, they had, there's something about him from a presence point of view that you can't really put your finger on. He's got humility and confidence and got them in equal measure at the right time. Um, and I think he believes in the players and about what they can do. You know, that's, that's all we've shone through. And those things, for me, you then think, well, where's he gonna, where are we going to end up in coaching? You know, we believe in the players. We've got a sound. He's got a sound. Um, knowledge and understanding of the game, tactics and strategies. You know, we do some brilliant analysis work with Steve Rams and the team. You know, we, we've got a pretty, you know, a pretty nice package really in many ways that epitomises modern coaching. So, yeah, the question, you know, I thought I, I thought he had huge potential. So it's, you know, it, part of me is very proud of him as well to see the journey that he's made and the steps that he's made, you know. So you come into Forest, and I don't know if you're a direct replacement for Stephen Reid, but it's kind of, Stephen leaves, you come in. What's it like being the new kid after someone who's so respected leaves, especially after promotion at Wembley? What was that dynamic like? And were you a bit nervous coming in? Um, well, I, I've taken Stephen Reid on his coaching awards, so that was a bit of a different dynamic <laughs> between between us. So that it didn't it didn't feel like you know I was the new kid coming in really, you know. And again, that's huge respect to Stephen, who's I know Reedy very well over the years, and he's a terrific. Um, again, humble, sensitive person. You know, he's he's been brilliant. I think at talking about his own, you know, personal struggles over the year. I think he was great at that. Um, I hope I helped in some way. You know, try and tease those things out of him to try and help him be the true, you know, authentic Stephen Reed. So now with that that I suppose I've worked in football and worked at, at big sporting organisations where people come and go, and you just got to come and be yourself. You know, you can't be anyone else. I just try to be myself and. I was trying to establish, you know, me in the building about being me. You know, I'm not, I'm not there to try and be Stephen Reid number two. I'm just trying to be Jamie Robinson. Yeah, I was going to ask you about the kind of dynamic between the coaches. Because I guess in any work environment, you want people, obviously you're pulling in the same direction, but you don't want to all have exactly the same opinion, exactly the same viewpoints. I guess you and Steve are from kind of a similar school of thought, it sounds like. How does the dynamic work between yourself, Alan, Reedy and Steve in terms of 
you know, if you disagree with something, do you, you speak up and you thrash it out? And then Steve, like Brian Clough, decides he was right all along. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's definitely a, a democratic kind of like management work that we're doing, you know. But yeah, you're right. Steve clearly has the right to have the final say and clearly make the ultimate decision. You know, I think I think it would be wrong of us to not give our opinions, whether he agrees with them or not. You know, we have to be ourselves and, and offer opinion. Uh, but clearly, we, we've got to come within some sort of tram lines and not be outliers and come up with weird and wonderful, wacky ideas. You know, we've got to agree some sort of framework within which we're going to work. You know, and, and that's been good putting together. But then also, as you said, we, we're not we're not sitting there like yes man and saying yeah we agree with everything you're saying. You know, there's some bits we need to dis- we need to disagree. But we also need to give some observations that other people can't see. So Danny Alcott, the goalkeeper coach, has got a very specific you know perspective on the game. You know, and obviously we embrace that and. You know, have the opportunity to to offer his views on, you know, what's going on high at the pitch as well as what's happening, you know, at the bottom end of the of the football pitch. And then, I think the choice, like you said, though, the, that's the that's the role of the head coach, the manager, isn't it, to piece together all this information. There's obviously sports science data. There's medical information. You know, there's there's obviously recruitment work that's been uh, that's been well documented about. You know, revamping and reshaping the squad after the number of lone players that the club had last year, you know, that, that's all on Steve's plate. And I think he pieces that together really skillfully. Yeah. How's that going? I mean, obviously a lot of changes of people outside of Nottingham don't seem to realise a lot of enforced changes because, you know, half the squad was lone yeah. players and grabs left and, you know, uh, um, Brees has left. How, how's that bedding in process going? Have you found on the, on the training ground? It, it must be a lot to, to, of work to get through in a short space of time. Yeah, I think I think so. A lot of work, but but if again, you will have seen when Steve came into the football club, the principles of how the game model looks and how how we want to play that's not changing because new bodies are coming in. It's just sharing those ideas and trying to get them, you know, to buy into the to the to the system and the and the way that we want to play. I mean, I think Steve's has articulated the the squad changes really intelligently, really, isn't it? As you just said, Matt, number of loans people out of contract the squad was always was, was always going to evolve this summer you know so I don't think there's been any surprises really about the number of changes I think like you like you're saying the question the challenge isn't it about getting those individuals who don't know each other to try and gel and be cohesive and and hit the ground running and obviously we need we need time with them to be able to do that but the clearer our principles can be and how we can share them with the players and how we can be really effective in the way we communicate with the with the boys who are who are coming in and the ones that are here to try and help them like Joe Worrell and Yatesy and Jack Cole, that'd be the, you know, the cultural architects of the environment to try and help share what we, what we do then you want, you want to try and accelerate that process a bit, but it, but it does take time. Is it a different or a harder challenge? Cause you've got lads coming in from the, the Bundesliga and lads who are coming in from France and different nationalities is it is it any different from betting in you know an English player who's played four hundred games in the championship? Are the principles the same? Yeah, I think the Premier League is definitely the World League, isn't it? So different to the Championship, which will have you know I suppose English principles at the heart of it. You know, the the Premier League is the World League that that's that's based in this country. You know, the Championship is oh, I sort of work at the FA. It's sixth or seventh best league in the world. You know, so we've got two of the top seven best leagues in the world you know Bundesliga 2 is down at like 30th I think or something so you know we're, we're trying to recognise that I think the league's got a um, a global feel hasn't it for the way the football's played you know 
And I, and I think that allows the boys to come in and settle in a little bit more cohesively because the way we play is not, again, your question at the start about League Two football, where that left side centre half, you had to put it down the channel. There was no, mm. there was no way you were going to roll that ball into centre midfield, you know, but that's not the way the game's played now at the top of the Premier League. You know, the teams who have who've been successful, you know, clearly had a range of styles over the last few years, but the majority of teams that are playing progressive, you know, technically based football through the thirds has, has gone through the roof over the last decade. And that showed, I think, in the Premier League club's uh, record in Europe. Um, and the way the league looks, you know, I think is allowing the players that we've brought in from other, other clubs and other countries to, to come and join us and hit the ground running because I think we play a progressive, fast-flowing, you know, attacking style. How much of your job then is kind of uh, getting players up to speak tactically, and how much is making sure they're settled in as people and able to be their best on the on the training ground? Is there a balance to be struck there as well? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think clearly first and foremost we'd be off on the field stuff. You know, would be well on and off the field, meaning video and looking at the work that we're doing to try and help the players bed in. That would be my first priority. But obviously, we would link that in and. You know, Steve and the staff, are, I think, are really good at, at picking off the guys individually and seeing how they're getting on, how they settled in. Again, I've been really impressed with, impressed with the club support about how Rachel and other people around the club help the new players come in and show them to different properties and, and help them set in really, really quickly. Because as you're putting out, it's, a, it's crucial and it's, and it's important. So, yeah, it definitely feels as sort of a, a family element to the way the club's going about helping the players settle in, which can only help them perform on the pitch. Mm. One thing I've asked people a few times around coaching, um, it's kind of that relationship between coaching someone who, in your, uh, no offence, I guess, in your case, you didn't play at the highest level, is no, a better no. footballer than you. Uh, how does that relationship work? Then on the flip side, you've got like Gerard and Lampard, who are coaching players, especially at Rangers for Gerard, who are probably not as good as them. How have you found that challenge and overcoming it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've not been really worried about that because I, I mean, I grew up with Robbie Fowler and Steve McManaman, you know, who end up being terrific footballers, and we talk about similar things. So I think you just take people, you need to take people as you find them. You know, I, I've never felt when I got into coaching and then coaching some of the you know former England internationals that came on our stuff, like David James and others who are big characters, you know, you just have to take it in your stride, really. Or oh, I think that's part of my skills, we'll be able to take that in my stride. But I would only try to get to, get to know them. I don't, a bit like we're talking about coaching here, try and get to know the individual, what their ambitions were, how we could support them, how we could work together. Uh, you know, I think if you're demonstrative and trying to like be dictatorial to anyone, I don't think there's people like that. So I think I've tried to help the work I've done as a coach being a built built around you know some bits around self-determination theory and trying to help people with their ownership and the sense of belonging to a bigger picture and those things have always helped me like recognize that everyone's different everyone's an individual regardless of whether they played whatever what, Gerard and Frank play 100 odd times for England or you know whether they played for Shrewsbury Town or Torquay United they're just people who just want to help you, you just want to help try and get better does it all come down to relationships and communication then, coaching? Is that the number one skill you've got to have? I've asked Nick this as well, but is that top of the tree if you could have one skill? It is for me. It is for me. But when you say, is it the number one skill? You know, I heard Steve Wright on Radio 2 today, and he's quite good at talking, but he wouldn't be a football coach because you've got mm. to know your stuff as well, you know? So mm. communication is about also linking 
who you're trying to work with, with what you're trying to work work on them with, if that makes sense, what you're trying to do with them, and then how you're going to communicate that with. So like the who, what, how kind of links together in a little model about you can't just be a good communicator and, and I think don't know your stuff, you know. You can't just talk about the game and be obsessed with the game and not to get to know the individual who you're working with. Um, I, I suppose that little triangle I find fascinating about coaching, obviously sat in the middle of that triangle, is, is getting to know yourself and getting to know the pressure that you put yourself under and how you talk to yourself about how th things are going in the game. Um, part of my experiences in coaching has been in grassroots and in professional football is that the result on the scoreline is, is such an overriding determinant about how coaches behave, you know, whether it's a, a game down the road from here with the under 12s tonight, you know, the coach, the coach has to just keep his or her head and help the players love, love the game and get better at doing what they're good at. And that's some of the principles I'm trying to build, build my work on. But then when you're at the performance end, it's more than that, you know, it's, it's how they enjoy it, how they're motivated, how they want to be successful and ultimately how they want to win and how we all mm. want to win because the, the, the first team is about winning games. Is coaching a bit like driving then? When you're a 17 year old and you pass your test, you think you're brilliant no matter what and, you know, you might have the odd crash like I did, but you have to do 10,000 miles or 10,000 sessions before you're actually any good at it. Yeah, I've done, yeah, I feel as I've had several models about doing the work that you think about how you think like shaping up, you know, I don't know whether that's the same analogy in driving because it's not that complex as it wants to get, once you get to know it, you just do it, don't you? And do it then you do it instinctively, autonomously, you know, I was thinking coaching, I think you've got to think about how you do the work. I think when you're playing, it's much more instinctive. When you coach, there's some thought behind everything you do, every comment you're making coaching. I think you, you have to be analytical, but you've also got to be passionate. You've got to be able to really think under pressure and think about the right stuff at the right time. And um, yeah, I think if I was saying stuff to coaches, I'd be thinking, just think how you are on, on the sideline and, and how you operate, you know, and are you really thinking and really observing what's going on or are your emotions just running wild? Mm. Um, let's, let me ask you, let me ask you about the Newcastle game before we come on to West Ham. And I mean, did you learn anything you didn't already know yourself and as a group of coaches after coming away from St. James's Park? Yeah, it was, it was a, it was a brilliant learning curve. Um, I think obviously we were disappointed with the, ultimately with the result. I think there's some promising bits about the performance. Um, I think we had some moments in the game where we're thinking we could have, we could have built a little bit of momentum. You know, I think the goals came at, at at tricky times for us and maybe we were thinking when we look back at them you know we could be preventable um but we're trying to play and we're trying to play out we're trying to be progressive so yeah i think we, we learn we learn a lot um and hopefully the players have learned a lot as well about about the level about the occasion um yeah no i think we'll see i think we'll also be interested when newcastle finish in the league as well you know um i think it was an impressive performance from them they had some good combinations in the certainly in the wide areas that caused our our team some problems. But we've come away thinking, oh yeah, there's lots of positives in that, but but and clearly lots of things that that we think we can improve on. Yeah, I thought they were very good. I thought Gimares was excellent from what I saw. Is obviously a, yeah. the, that's the kind of play you're going to come up, come up against, I guess. What what have you made of the response from the players in training so far this week? Then is it exactly what you wanted? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, it's been really it's been really exciting to be honest. Um, you know, building up to, and we spoke before, didn't we? The atmosphere at the city ground 
for the first game back in the Premier League is going to be pretty special, isn't it? And I think the players are generally excited by that. Um, they've worked hard. You know, obviously it's it's been a hot all week, you know, but they've their attitudes been absolutely first class, you know, and the togetherness is 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 there a hundred percent, you know. So just trying to build and and focus on the work and and not deviate from the plan and and um, I'm looking forward to Sunday. How much are you looking forward to Sunday? I know you're saying you, you went quite a few times last season and there were some great occasions and this is going to be up there and perhaps surpass any of them, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was fortunate to come over quite a number of times last season and the, when I was working with uh, working at the FA and working with the working with the coaches. But yeah, it's um yeah, it's gonna be pretty special, isn't it? Yeah, I'm excited. It's but ultimately it's a game of football. It's still gonna be eleven v eleven. We'll still have offside. There'll be two goals, you know. So it's it's still going to be what happens on the pitch, which is going to define the result, you know. And and hopefully we can we can do more of uh, the things that we showed um, moments of doing last week at St James's Park. We can do them a bit more regularly on on, on Sunday and uh, turn in a good performance and a and a good result. Yeah, I agree with what you say. But do you think the fans uh, at home they do make a difference? That's Sheffield United second leg. I've said this many times on the podcast. The fans did make a big difference there. Does it? Uh, from the players' point of view, do they do they hear that and do they feel that noise? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think the I think the I think the players are. Is pride the right word? What would be the word? I suppose I suppose the motivation and the enthusiasm you get from playing in such a stadium with such an atmosphere and such supportive crowd. Um, it's definitely a fuel, isn't it? That we that we can't we've got to use as a spirit this season, you know. But we'll still be looking at. You know, specifically, you know, how we're playing through the thirds, what we're doing with our pressing, you know, what's happening when they come to attack us. You know, so you're trying to piece all that together, aren't you, to, to make sure that we can use, I suppose, the emotional spirit of the city ground to, to benefit the players and the performances. Uh, West Ham are good, aren't they? <laughs> Got some good players. De- I guess I would say it's about every side, Declan Rice, you know, whoever else. Uh, it's a good challenge, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, we're not, we're not short of days this week to do our homework. You know about about what they're all about. Um, obviously, difficult to tell from watching them against City on Sunday whether they'll go with that shape or that team when they didn't have as much when they hardly had any of the ball. Um, yeah, I think I think you're right. What you said that there's good players in the Premier League, aren't there? There's good sides. You know, obviously David Moyes has done a terrific job there alongside Paul Nevin, who, who I know very well, and and some of the other coaching staff that are there. Um, but we can only control our controllables and get ourselves ready and, and build on our togetherness in the way that we want to play. And and we think that's uh, that's going to be the formula to get to get results. Well, I know everyone's going to wish you well and obviously be pulling for a result for Forrest. And if it doesn't come, I'm sure no one's going to panic. They certainly shouldn't because Forrest are in a good place. And it feels like everything's moving in the right direction at the football club. Jamie, thank you very much for joining us. I do appreciate it. Thanks, Matt. And we shall be back on Monday with Gary Bertles and Mikey Clark, and we'll discuss the West Ham game. And as I say, hopefully it's three points for Forrest. So thanks very much, everyone, and we'll see you soon.